Are you still trying to reinvent the wheel? Tens of thousands of professionals have attempted to solve the same challenges you're dealing with right now. Some of them failed, some of them succeeded. But very few of them succeeded and captured their proven approach to share it with the world. Mike Kunkel is one of these very few. He has been an enabler for over 30 years and has captured his proven approach in an extremely successful framework called the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement. Mike and I have now translated the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement framework into a learning experience that helps a new generation of enablement teams fast-track their journey to sales enablement mastery. Our combination of group coaching sessions, actionable video lessons, materials, resources, networking opportunities and templates makes mastering sales enablement best practices faster and easier than it has ever been before. So if you want to stop reinventing the wheel, maximize business impact and fast-track your career, consider joining a growing community of enablers at the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement Learning Experience. To learn more, visit goffwd.com slash blocks. That's goffwd.com slash B-L-O-C-K-S. You know, they say uh, data is king, right? But I would say correlation is God, <laughs> right? Because without correlation, that alignment and that language you speak to business executives is missing. which is what they want to hear which is they're not hearing enough of, evidently, based on uh, the layoffs we're seeing. They're not connecting the value. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Enablement's business impact remains a hot topic in the wake of mass layoffs in the technology sector. So who better to interview on this topic than an enablement leader that has consistently been able to collaborate with senior executive stakeholders to achieve truly strategic enablement outcomes. In our conversation, we talked about common reasons for enablement layoffs, the differences between operational and strategic enablement, and which metrics enablers should truly care about to avoid seeing that dreaded so what face of the chief revenue officer. Please welcome the Senior Director of Global Revenue Enablement at UserZoom, Kunal Pandya. Kunal, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. It's great to finally catch up and record with you. I've been looking forward to this discussion for a while, so glad to finally have you on the show. Likewise, Felix. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's great to be talking to you about what is a very important topic. That's right. That's right. So we've known each other for a while and I'm particularly familiar with your background, but for those people that might have seen your name pop up here and there, but don't really know what qualifies you to talk about this topic today, why don't you give us a bit of background around what has led you to today and what has really shaped your thinking around the business impact of sales enablement? Sure. Yeah. For those of you who may not be aware of who I am, my name is Kunal Pandya. I am based out of London, UK. And I've been working for various high growth startup as well as enterprise SaaS companies, tech companies for the last 20 years or so. Most of those roles within the last 20 years are focused on the tech side, on the business side, on the strategy side, project and consulting side, sales side, I think very importantly, based on our conversation here, which has led me to leading a sales enablement to revenue enablement team, which is what I'm doing currently. So I've been in enablement in different shapes and sizes, different ways of calling enablement enablement 
for the last 13 years or so. And currently I'm leading a, a team of uh, revenue enablers who are focused on enabling a sales force, which covers everything from inside sales and SDRs to enterprise account executives, mid-market account executives, strategic account executives as well, as well as customer success, which includes account managers, strategic account managers, and so on. Awesome. Considering how well connected you are in the enablement space, and also because of your seniority, you also know other senior enablers out there. The impression that you have about the current situation out there with the recent downturn and the associated layoffs that have been happening in the enablement space, what have you heard out there in market? Like, what was the reasoning behind some of those layoffs that you've come across? Yeah, it's such a good question. It's such a prevalent question right now. I think when we think about the reason why the layoffs are happening, we have to kind of go back in time a little bit to kind of understand where did this all start? What, what, what did enablement itself, you know, how did it start? Well, I think when we think about the rise of enablement, which has been especially swift in the most recent years, we saw a lot of analysts you know, buzzing about this significance. We saw research firms who started to, to talk about, well, when we talk to venture capitalists, when we talk to private equity firms, they now consider sales enablement in their investment evaluations and, and as part of their due diligence when they're investing because they view it as a crucial indicator of a company's ability to scale. So when they're looking at us for those indicators, sales enablement became one of those prevalent indicators. And that was something that lots of companies obviously jumped on, right? When they saw and started hearing those kind of messages coming in their, in their feeds. And that contributed to the rapid rise of enablement, especially in the last sort of five to six years. But I think a lot of those enablement functions struggled to really keep up with the kind of rapid pace of change, the rapid change of buyer behavior, the market conditions as we're seeing right now, and those disruptive economic factors. And a lot of those enablers which came into the market, you know, we've seen the growth rates of you know, a number of enablement roles being advertised on LinkedIn, a number of enablement, people with enablement in a title on LinkedIn as well came from different backgrounds and different directions. They came from sales, of course, right? People who no longer wanted to be a quota carrier moving to sales or revenue enablement. They came from training or education backgrounds, learning backgrounds, you know, people backgrounds, all those kinds of things, right? And some from even from consulting backgrounds as well. And I'm sure there's been others. But then we started to see, I think, two types of enablement functions emerging as a result of this. And those two types are operational enablement and strategic enablement. And I think most of the layoffs that I'm seeing in the market are in those bracket of enablement, operational enablement, I should say. And I think there's reasons for that, which we can, we can certainly go into, but I think that is one of the key reasons as to one, where we've got to based on where we started and why some of these enablers are being laid off. But yeah, absolutely. We can, we can kind of go into a bit more detail as to kind of what that actually all means. I think it's really interesting what you mentioned around the analysts being involved and really hyping sales enablement as a function. As soon as that sort of thing happens, you know, Gardner likes to talk about the hype cycle, for example, which talks about the hype around certain technologies and they have what they call the froth of delusionment, yeah. which typically describes when those exceeded expectations could not be met and when the confidence has to be built again. And I think we're really at that point right now with enablement, you know, with so many investments being done in that space and 
probably also certain enablement functions being positioned as something that they were not, because as you said, I think it's quite easy to reposition operational enablers or people in operation, previously operational roles, just relabel them with the self-enablement label and move them into those roles yeah. that in fact require a whole different skill set. And I think you're, we're going to get to that when we break down the strategic enablement versus operational enablement, but that's certainly something that I also see in markets. So I think it's quite interesting what you say there. And let's talk about the strategic versus operational enablement. So what are the exact differences between those two categories from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, it is open to interpretation, but I'll give you my view of this based on what I'm seeing in the market. I think operational enablement are those enablement functions and practices which are focused on training and onboarding. I think those are the two leading factors in terms of what they do. And as a result, anything outside of that may be more reactive-based enablement, right? based on what senior leaders are pushing for, what they want, who shouts the loudest, and what the immediate needs might be based on what they're seeing. right? And I think those who are in operational enablement kind of focused more on the volume of delivery as opposed to kind of the effectiveness and the tangible outcomes of that delivery. And by tangible outcomes, I'm talking about revenue outcomes. So that's one of, I think, one of the key traits of an operational enablement function. Some other traits that I can talk about are around how they report, right? So they, they may even report to revenue operations, typically, perhaps marketing, perhaps even the, the HR slash people team. And I think when I see reporting lines for enablement in that way, that typically tells me it's a sign that their business perhaps devalues the role of enablement. If you had to put it somewhere, it wasn't important enough to be at a top table from the revenue or sales function perspective. So it, it goes into perhaps an ops, ops function. The other kind of aspects when I see, you know, they're, they're focused more on the leading indicators in terms of metrics, I would say. And we can talk about metrics later on as well in a bit more detail. And focused on, when it comes to those leading indicators, on things like completions of training, delivery of training and enablement, maybe volume of onboarding, those kind of things. It's very tactical and operational. And as far as strategic enablement is concerned, I'd reverse it slightly. So the strategic enablement functions that I've seen are focused heavily on a data-driven strategy. And they're prioritizing the initiatives and programs based on that data as well. They're fully obsessed on revenue outcomes. It starts with the revenue outcome and they work backwards from there, very typically. They also correlate leading and lagging indicators. So when we talk about just leading indicators, they also focus on the lagging indicators in terms of metrics, but they're correlating the two, right? So there's a clear understanding as to how one drives the other. I think from a reporting perspective, like we said earlier, they, they typically report into, into the head of sales, chief revenue officer, chief sales officer, they tend to operate more cross-functionally as well. So it's not just about working with other groups to get things done, but it's about bridging any misalignment between functions. And I'll talk about specifically things like uh, between sales, marketing, product, customer success. So how do we create an alignment between those functions in order to maximize the effectiveness of the enablement? And I think one last point I would make about strategic enablement is they're not just potentially impacting business strategy, but they're visibly aligned to it. And they seem to be impacting business strategy, which is the most important thing. But the perception is also there, right? So they, they talk about it in a way that is 
of the same language for executives, right? It's understood at that level. Because I think, as we know, when we talk about certain enablement metrics like number of certifications or the process efficiencies around your playbooks or, or various other kind of programs and initiatives, we've got to remember, do CFOs really care about that? Like, really? So whilst those are important metrics and important measures, it's the correlation to the lagging performance indicators of a revenue function that are most important. Those are the two roles or two types of enablement functions that I'm seeing and the characteristics, I would say. If a senior leader might be listening to this and they see the potential in enablement still, they haven't written it off and they want to invest in that function and they want to make sure that they hire a leader that is really able to deliver on those strategic sales enablement objectives, where do you look for those sort of leaders and what sort of skill sets do you see really playing a role? And what are some of the spots that you might be looking for such a leader that might not be as obvious as just hiring somebody from the sales team, for example, or somebody from the training team? Like, what are those spots that senior revenue leaders might be looking into in order to find those sort of people to really lead the strategic sales enablement function? Yeah. So when I speak to sales leaders, when I speak to companies around their enablement function and we're sort of talking about what they're trying to achieve, again, I see those two types of companies. In the same way as we see two types of enablement functions, we see two types of companies. Those who are wanting an enablement function, but it's bracketed under the operational. We want someone to do training and onboarding. And in fact, you know, I'm seeing LinkedIn posts this week that tell me straight away, that's an operational enablement function that you're, you're looking to build there. I saw one job description as soon as yesterday, which talked about growing an enablement team. And on that job description, there was a list of what was headed as outcomes. And every outcome was a tactical program to deliver onboarding, to deliver updates to playbooks and maintenance to playbooks, to train, to develop training, all those kinds of things, which are all important. Of course, they're part of the enablement function, but they're not outcomes, right? They're deliverables. And I think that's the problem. That's one of the key problems is those kinds of things are bracketed under enablement. And whilst enablement may have been that in the past, it has to evolve. So when we think about what our sales leaders looking for, they have to be looking for someone or at least a, a function that can be elevated to be a strategic business driver, not just delivery on, on programs or initiatives, but actually delivering on tangible, measurable, and strategically important outcomes. And those people may be harder to find, let's be honest. But I think we cannot afford as businesses, as sales leaders, and as enablement teams, to be going the other way, because now is the time, I would say, where if your enablement function is delivering 5% of revenue or less, it will be seen as a cost center by the company executives and the CFOs who are wielding the X. Even at 5%, what we should be looking for are those strategic enablement functions that are delivering upwards of 15% revenue, because those are the ones who are getting elevated, retained, and are delivering real business impact. So do you think there's a case to be made for senior revenue leaders to design the function in a way that they are actually incentivized based on those revenue metrics, that they, for example, have revenue targets or that their bonus structure is created in a way that they are actually paid that way? Oh, absolutely. Yes, 100%. This is a great point. There's a few red flags when I see when I talk to revenue leaders around building an enablement function. One of those red flags I see is how they're going to be compensated. 
And, you know, this is a topic that is not talked about often enough, I would say, is compensation within the, within the enablement field. And, and, you know, so I'm kind of going to go there for a sec. When we were talked about the difference between operational and strategic enablement functions, compensation is a big factor, right, in terms of that difference. And based on kind of what I see in the market, what I see from companies, the remuneration for operational enablers can range between, in US dollars, between 60K and 120K, very typically. That's probably the ceiling, I would say. But from a company bonus scheme, which is where things become very interesting, typically those enablers will be placed within a company bonus scheme, right? The same as perhaps their people team, their, maybe their engineers or anyone who's, who's not quota carrying, let's say, or revenue focused might be on. And the minute I see that, I think, hmm, that's a flag for me because again, it's a sign of devaluation of the function and how you're positioning it. Whereas on the strategic side, remuneration typically starts around the 120K mark and I've seen upwards of $300,000. It's there, it can happen, right? And from a bonus perspective, typically those people will be on some form of a variable bonus scheme, which is aligned to maybe two things the short and long-term goals of what you're trying to achieve. And by goals, essentially, that could be MBOs, OKRs, you know, those quarterly goals which ensure that enablers are doing the right things at the right time based on the immediate needs of the organization. But the other half of that compensation will be focused on a revenue number. So these enablers are not necessarily quota carrying, right? But they're quota enabling and they're aligned to a quota, I would say. And as long as the frequency of that variable commission or bonus scheme is on a quarterly basis, that is how we tie to revenue outcomes, right? Because our revenue teams are also focused on a quarter by quarter basis. So I definitely see a difference in that. And those companies who will kind of move towards a strategic remuneration angle, I say the ones who get it a little bit more. Got it, got it. So I was actually... I held a senior self-enablement role in the media space about 10 years ago now. And I was actually quota carrying back then, right, in that enablement role. And right. let me tell you what I liked and what I didn't like about that. So what I liked about it was obviously that my activity was closely tied to outcomes and that at any given point in time, the sales team felt like I'm in the same boat as they are and I have their best interest in mind because their number is my number. That was what I liked about it. Yes. What I didn't like about it was that suddenly you are incentivized to deliver short-term outcomes, right? And if you don't hit your quarterly number, for example, suddenly you are in a position where you want to drive those short-term revenue goals. And that might incentivize you to follow certain behaviors in your collaboration with sales team to push that number up, which might not have that strategic long-term value that you're looking for, right? So I think in that sense, it's just a question of how it breaks down. I also had OKRs and was also incentivized on those, but I do believe sometimes those short-term revenue goals can lead to negative behaviors. Things like talking to the sales guys and trying to drive short-term deals, like talk to them about discounting and those kind of things, and maybe being a bit more pushy around their deals when you have coaching conversations and so on. I'm not saying that that was what I did, so I have to qualify that. <laughs> but yeah. it is a behavior that comes to mind when you see that revenue number in front of you and we've got that revenue goal, right? So I think from my point of view, 
to have the best out of both worlds, you need to have a really good balance. Absolutely. It's the balance. Let's talk about metrics for a minute. So yeah, what are the key metrics that you would be looking at if you were a business leader and you would build the sales enablement function from scratch? Which metrics would you define to make sure that the sales enablement function is really aligned to the strategic business outcomes? Yeah. When it comes to metrics, we can talk about two types of metrics, right? There are those leading indicator type metrics, behavioral metrics, perhaps. And there's a lagging metrics, of course, right at the end. And when it comes to enablement, there are lots of them, right? There's a plethora of metrics out there. And the problem with those metrics is, is of course, you know, individually, they are probably, and they are valuable, right? There's no doubt about that, but there are a lot of them. And I think I've seen enablers struggle to define which ones are the most important to me as, as an individual for my function and for the team I'm supporting and the business as a whole. And they end up with a list of a lot of metrics, which is taking a lot of time to generate. They're having to lean on their, their rev ops or sales ops functions to, to deliver some of these things. And ultimately, when they deliver these metrics to their revenue leadership, their business leaders, whilst they're all important to tell a story, for sure, in my experience, I've always seen this look on a revenue leader's face, which is the look of so what, right? Not in a negative way to say, oh, that's not important to me. I don't care. Not, not in that way, but what does that mean, <laughs> right? What does it really mean? And what does it mean for me? And really, what are we trying to do when it comes to metrics? I think there's four things we're trying to do. We're trying to use metrics as a way to define our strategies. So what are the metrics telling us in terms of how we should define our enablement strategy? That's number one. And how we should also prioritize within that strategy as well. What's the most important thing, right? What's going to move the needle the most? We also want to align our strategy, our enablement strategies to those business strategies, which drives the real growth and the revenue outcomes that we're talking about. But also we're looking to use metrics as a way to obtain stakeholder buy-in, right? Because as you will know, and our listeners will know, if you don't have that buy-in, it's just an uphill struggle. And many initiatives and programs are just doomed to failure. So how do we get that stakeholder buy-in? And not just from an emotional perspective, but also from an investment perspective, investment of time, investment of budget to get the things done which we need to get done. And then ultimately, we're using metrics to measure our outcomes, right? So based on what the impact we said we would have, did we have that impact? And I think the traditional sales and revenue metrics just make it hard. I think that makes it hard, especially when we receive that so what from the revenue leaders. So the one core metric which I use, and I'm sure a lot of people will, will know of this, is sales velocity. Why? Because ultimately, when you strip it all down and take it all away, there are only four factors that impact how much we sell. And those factors are the components of sales velocity, which are number of opportunities, active qualified opportunities, your average win rate, your average deal value, and the average length of sales cycle. So sales velocity in itself is, is an interesting metric, which can tell us part of a story. But where I see lots of teams struggling, and there's also not much information out there on this, is actually how to implement sales velocity in a way that will drive revenue outcomes. That's the key part to this, not the equation or the metric itself, but how you implement it. Because without that, it's kind of pointless and you're going to get even more so what expressions. So that's what I 100% recommend as being a way to deliver a strategic enablement function. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so if you look at the components of sales velocity, so how would you uh, relate that back to initiatives, for example, and make sure that you actually impact those four key factors within that formula that you just outlined. Right. 
when we think about sales velocity and, and those four components, the way to look at those, those factors are as levers. Imagine you're kind of pulling a lever, maybe pouring a pint of beer or an ice cream or whatever it may be. What you're trying to do is fill a cup, essentially, right? You're trying to fill a cup of something. You usually want to go as fast as you can. And the question you're asking yourself is, how hard do I need to pull that lever? When do I actually start pulling it? When the cup is there? When do you stop pulling it? When it's getting filled up? And how are we actually going to pull it? Right, that's the question, right? How do we make this thing work? So when we look at opportunities, average win rates, deal values, and length of sales cycle as levers, it's the same thing. The first thing we need to understand is what are our benchmarks? Where do we stand today? And what you would typically find is that the metrics all point that your sales velocity is, is here, right? Whatever that number might be. The key thing here is to look at where do we want to take it? What do we need to actually achieve? What are our revenue goals for our company? And this is where we start to think about how this aligns to the business strategy, the revenue strategy of the company, what your chief revenue officer, sales leaders are most tied to, right? Which is the ultimate goal of, of the revenue function. So what we'll find is this is where we are and this is where we want to be in terms of sales velocity. And the question is, what is that gap? The next step to this is, is how do we actually incrementally pull those levers of sales velocity to address that gap? So the numbers kind of tell a great story here, which is, you know, if, if we're looking for an unlikely scenario you know, in today's economic climate, but if we're looking for a 70 or 80% year on year growth, you might think, you oh, know, that sounds like a lot. That's a big number in terms of growth. But really, when you break it down to the individual components of sales velocity, that's like a 20%, 25% growth in number of opportunities. It's around 15% growth in, in uh, average win rate, so average deal value. Less than 10% in average win rate and around 10% in length of sales cycle. So suddenly, you've, you've broken up this large scale of revenue growth that you're trying to achieve into more bite-sized, measurable pieces, levers, right, essentially. Now, from an enablement perspective, when we think about number of opportunities, average deal value, win rate, and the sales cycle, we can start to think about what are the key things that we do? What are the key strategic initiatives and programs that we can define that drives each of those metrics? So you're not just driving a number, you're driving the, the indicators that drive the overall number. That's when things become real, right? And that's when we start to see a real alignment between what we're doing and what's most important to our business. I think the interesting thing that you mentioned about the leading indicators from my point of view is I don't think it, the problem necessarily lies with the leading indicator itself. I see businesses being very effective by tracking leading indicators as well. But the problem is if you don't build a connection to the lagging indicators and you have no yeah. way of correlating them and all you do is tracking leading indicators and then it you kind of shoot it in the dark out into the universe and cross your fingers and hope for the best. You know, I think yeah. that's the problem that I see out there and where it really falls over. But as you said, you should start with that strategic self velocity number or self productivity, whatever you take as a measure from your senior leadership team and then cascade it down to what you're actually doing and ideally correlate it because that you do something over here as a leading indicator doesn't necessarily mean that it shifts something from a lagging indicator point of view. So, yeah. You know, they say uh, data is king, right? But I would say correlation is God, <laughs> right? Because without correlation, that alignment and that language you speak to business executives is missing, which is what they want to hear, which is they're not hearing enough of evidently based on uh, the layoffs we're seeing. They're not connecting the value. It's so important. 
So we've talked about data a lot, metrics. That's obviously an area that enablers should be upskilling it immediately if they want to change their perspective and transform their current sales enablement function in their business to be more centered on business impact. What are some of the other areas and some of the other skills that enablers can purposefully develop in order to really transform their function and to really align with senior leadership? Yeah. So in terms of some of the other areas and bordering on, on skills as well, I would say make sales ops, sales ops your best friend, because you know, getting some of this data is not easy. Understanding it and shaping it in a way and making sure it's as clean as possible to deliver a telling and effective story is not easy. Make them your best friend. Faster, faster. The second thing I would say is broaden your remit. So when we've talked about operational enablement and we said kind of focused on training and onboarding very typically, well, guess what? We're in an age where people are not hiring anymore. So onboarding is just less important. So let's ensure that we are broadening our remit to not just the typical pillar of sales enablement, which is training and onboarding, but also around productivity and efficiency, around performance optimization and effectiveness, around alignment, right? We talked about cross-functional alignment as well. But I think importantly, also around engagement. How do we ensure that our reps, especially right now, especially our top performing reps, where the competition for, for talent is heating up, right? There's, there's not many roles out there, but there's a lot of people in the market, including some great people. And for those roles which do exist, they have the choice of some of the best people that they can get. Right? How do we ensure that we're keeping our top performers? How do we ensure that we are delivering a great experience to those people? Because ultimately, we've talked a lot about data, but there's a great Simon Sinek quote, which is, we stand for people. And I think as enablers, that's what we do, right? We stand for people, not just a metric or a number or, or a product or a service. And the quote goes, if we stand for people, then that's how we change the world. I do believe that. This is a people business. It's a people function that we're in. But I also say, of course, stand for people, but drive it using your data, right? So, so there's, a, there's a combination here as well. So that's certainly an, an effective skill there to broaden that remit. The third thing I would say is, again, focus on that data. And, and I talked about sales velocity quite a bit. I talk about it quite a lot on LinkedIn as well. But focus on the key levers that business executives understand and work backwards from there. And when we talk about how we did certain things, and that's a story you tell. So that's a skill in itself. That's an art form. And how to communicate to executives. So understanding what they care about is, is one of the first things that you would do. So position yourself to be able to do that. I think the last thing I'll mention is and I kind of touched on it earlier, is focus not just on, on the hiring aspect and the scaling aspect of, of your sales function, but focus on the optimization of its performance. So, so think about how do we get from A to Z in the fastest way, in the most efficient and productive way, the most effective way possible. That's the first thing. So what does that process look like? Secondly, what are the key measures of that sales team in terms of how they do what they do? And for that, I'm specifically talking about things like competencies. So one of the things I'm certainly becoming more a strong advocate of is implementing a competency framework, which allows you to measure the effectiveness of your sales teams and the level of skills, knowledge, and acumen of those teams as well. Benchmark it, understand kind of where the strengths and weaknesses are and target those weaknesses to drive a high-performing sales function. So yeah, I think those are the four key things immediately that enablers can actually start thinking about and start implementing into the practice to, to help them to define that laser-focused strategy, to align to business goals, to get that buy-in from stakeholders, and ultimately to measure their outcomes.
which in theory should be positive. For anybody who wants to upskill in those areas that you just mentioned, do you have any resources that you can share that have helped you in the past to develop those skills and to create that focus on those areas? It's an interesting one because there is no one place you can go, right? That covers everything we've just talked about. And it's, in fact, some of the things we talked about aren't documented anywhere. It's interesting. Not to an extent of actually being useful. For example, I talk about sales velocity. You will find, if you were to Google sales velocity, you'll find hundreds of articles on it, right? In everywhere you would expect it to be and more. But not a single one, and I guarantee this, not a single one will tell you how to actually implement it in a way that is effective for your enablement function. Not a single one. So it's a tough one, right? So things like that. There'd be lots of other areas around, you know, things like performance optimization, competency framework, strategy, all those kind of areas. I found that some of the enablement communities are extremely useful, not just in terms of the content that they're producing, but the network that you can build. Networking with like-minded peers is going to be one of the most powerful things you can do to obtain the skill. So the Sales Enablement Collective, Sales Enablement Pro, the Sales Enablement Society, the Sales Enablement Squad are just for the communities out there, which have been growing as the, as the function has been growing, where you can find your peers and content like this. For certain other things, I have also been teaching on sales velocity for the Sales Enablement Collective. It's part of the, the leadership fellowship course that they have. So that's a, an ongoing, I think it's a quarterly program. So, you know, have a look at those, those guys. So uh, you can kind of find out a little bit more about that. Well, I'll talk about how you go into a bit more detail with sales velocity, right? So, so that's definitely one area, a little bit of self-promotion there too. I think focus on, on those because there's no silver bullet to this, right? It is about talking. It's about doing. It's about learning as we go and as we execute against the objectives. So, and of course, there will be people that you can connect with like yourself in this space, like Mike can call himself, who talk about all of these things in a much more detailed way as part of the building blocks. There's certainly lots of resources out there. We just need to find them and put them together. Awesome. So keyword networking, where can people find you online? Where can they connect with you if they want to continue the conversation? Yeah, of course. You can find me on LinkedIn. Kino Pandia is a URL extension. So um, find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me. I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about the topics we've been talking about. Acknowledging the fact that there aren't too many resources out there in one place. It's not easy to find. So I can certainly be of a resource to, to help you get there. I'm going to go into a bit more detail. Why? Because I'm passionate about this stuff, right? I'm passionate about enablement. I'm passionate about growing the enablement function, elevating its profile, making sure that every enabler has a seat at the top table of the revenue function, and ultimately making sure that our function is delivering is delivering outcomes, not just when times were good, like they were pre-pandemic, but especially when times are bad, like they are now. And I'm all for seeing the evolution of the enabled function to be able to facilitate that. So happy to help anyone who needs it. Awesome. Lots more to talk about. We should probably set up another session to expand on some of those topics. But yeah, thank you so much for your time today, Kunal, and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Felix.
Considering the recent budget cuts in the enablement space, it is no surprise that in a recent LinkedIn poll, 56% of enablers stated that they plan to increase their ability to create business impact in 2023. I've teamed up with sales enablement legend Mike Kunkel to create a webinar that outlines proven approaches to maximizing enablement's business impact. To watch the seven steps to maximizing enablement's business impact, visit goffwd.com slash impact. That's goffwd.com slash I-M-P-A-C-T.